This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. Well, Fraser is in Inverness. I'm speaking from West Lothian. James is our uh, London correspondent for the day and we're going to be talking about something that Nicola Sturgeon very rarely talks about, which is Scottish independence. She's brought it back up the agenda if it had ever slid down this week by announcing her route map to a second referendum. James, just talk us through what she announced and how credible it is. So she announced a plan to hold a referendum in October 2023 and she has requested a Section 30 order from the UK government, which is what she would need to do so. I think we're not giving away any state secrets when we say that she has got about as much chance of getting a Section 30 order from the UK government as I have of getting a call-up to the Scottish rugby team. So she has also asked the Supreme Court to rule on the question of whether an advisory referendum on independence without the permission of the UK government would be legal. There, the answer is less certain. I think it is highly unlikely the Supreme Court would say it was legal. I think there is a chance the Supreme Court might say, well, we we won't rule on a hypothetical. We'd have to have seen that the bill would have to have been enacted first before we take a decision. But I think, again, it is the most likely outcome there is that the Supreme Court will say, no, you can't do that. The Constitution is quite clearly a reserved matter to the Westminster Parliament, and so that is without your competence. She has said that in that case, she would then try and turn the coming general election into what she has called a de facto referendum on independence. Now, I think you can see here a bit of electoral politicking. She knows that there is a real danger for the SNP, but at the next election... Scottish Labour, for the first time in quite a while, have a clear, compelling argument, which is the UK Tories are on the skids. The quickest and simplest way to boot Boris Johnson or whoever it is out of Downing Street is to elect Scottish Labour MPs and they will then govern the UK and the Tories will be gone. And I think what Nicola Sturgeon is trying to do is by trying to turn this into this de facto referendum, she is trying to kind of whip up the SNP base and hopefully she would hope increase her bargaining power in a hung parliament by saying, look, this was a de facto referendum on independence. So at the very least, this incoming government in a hung parliament should be prepared to offer Scotland a referendum. Fraser, what's the, the mood on the ground like in Inverness? I have to say that uh, my neighbours in, in West Lothian are, are mostly annoyed about the trains operating almost a strike-style timetable at the moment and the bus is not turning up rather than uh, whether or not the government's going to grant a Section 30 order. Well, it's always hard to gauge the mood when you're just in a place for a few days. But talking to my friends and family, certainly the number one problem is the cost of living as it is in England. I mean, there's not much public transport up here that works. So people drive to get from A to B. And when petrol is £2 a litre, hugely more than it was this time last year, that really does hurt. 
But I would also say that Scotland is still a divided country. There's about, probably about a third of Scots want this referendum next year, and those who do want it, want it quite passionately. As I found out in Question Time last night, there was no end of audience members telling me that Scotland is not governed by opinion polls, and just because the polls say that independence isn't popular doesn't mean to say we don't want the campaign. So if you're a true believer, and the SNP has been incredibly successful in creating lots of true believers, something like 100,000 Scots now are members of the SNP, which is per capita a huge participation in the political party, are absolutely on for this battle which Nicola Sturgeon is promising, but I suspect will not be able to deliver. And James, in terms of the Westminster reaction to this, I've been quite amused by how many people seem to think it's going to benefit them and not just the SNP. You've had Conservatives saying this is a gift to them in terms of campaigning. You've even amazingly had uh, the Labour Party thinking it's it's going to help them as well, even though nothing seems to help the Labour Party, particularly in, in Scotland at the moment. So what do you think is true? Who, who is going to benefit from this aside from the SNP? So I think this benefits the SNP and the Tories, right? It benefits the Tories because by calling it a de facto referendum, whenever the campaign in Scotland is covered, kind of UK-wide, independence will be a feature. And I don't think Keir Starmer will struggle with it as much as their Miliband did. But this question of, you know, in a hung parliament, what would you be prepared to, to offer the SNP will be something that Keir Starmer will have to be able to answer. And that will be difficult for the Tories. Although... One note of caution I would, I would inject, which is, given what has happened in British politics since 2015, I think it is harder for the Tories to portray themselves as the kind of party of stability as opposed to a coalition of chaos that they did so successfully in 2015. I mean, that is a more difficult ask for them now. But by putting the kind of constitutional question front and centre, the SNP have probably helped the Tories. And I think if one was a cynic, one would suggest that, you know, the SNP would not be too disappointed about an election result where they win their de facto referendum with over 50% of the vote and you still have a Tory prime minister. That would obviously enable them to say, oh my God, Scotland must be independent because look at, look at all this. Because I think it is something that is undoubtedly, I think, true is Nicola Sturgeon would find it harder to win an independence referendum if there was a Labour government at Westminster. So I think the other question, again, is, you know, how much can Nicola Sturgeon frame the election as being this referendum? You know, I mean, as Ted Heath would tell you, you know, politicians can tell the electorate what the election is meant to be about, but they don't necessarily get their way. And I also think it's not a guarantee that the SNP get over 50% of the vote in the general election in Scotland in 2024. And Fraser, there's been a lot of debate following Sturgeon's announcement about whose fault it is that Scotland is in a never-ending situation now. Is it Tony Blair's fault for devolution? Is it Gordon Brown's fault? Is it David Cameron's fault for enabling Brexit and therefore endangering the union? Who, Who do you blame? Well, it's difficult. You, you can certainly argue that if David Cameron had fought a better campaign, then Scottish independent support wouldn't have been so high in the first place. But I don't really see the point in, in trying to blame somebody. The fact is we are where we are with a Scotland where just under half of the public still want independence. Now, if they're off that opinion, they're always going to be interested in a referendum and a chance to get what they want. So this is a, a difficult situation. But of course, constitutionally, the problem is how do you manage to stop Scots being pestered with a referendum every four years until they say yes? I mean, you can bet, you can bet if they do say yes, they won't be 
be another referendum after that. So, of course, democratically, this is for Scots to work out. Next time there's a Holyrood election, and the SNP will have to admit that if you vote for us, we're going to treat it as a vote for independence. They weren't really saying that last time. They were saying, oh, our priority is to get through COVID, etc. Our priority is a referendum. But now they're saying, look at this, by dint of our number of seats in the Scottish Parliament, we therefore demand a referendum. So I think next time around, Scots who don't want a referendum, including, by the way, nationalist Scots, about a third of whom, first of all, voted Brexit, and secondly, about a third don't really want a referendum this time around because they think they would lose it, then I think that the SNP might struggle to win so many seats in the next Scottish election, but they've got a few more years left in office. Of course, you could argue, as some unionists do, that the best way of putting this question to bed is to give Nicola Sturgeon a referendum, because once they try and fail a second time, then the movement really will be killed stone dead, as the Quebec separatists found out after their second referendum, which ended in a unionist victory. You hear quite a lot of murmurings about that right now, but Nicola Sturgeon isn't ready for this fight. She's just pretending. She's got no idea how she would rejoin the EU and cope with a hard border with England, and that if you had a campaign where she was forced to confront these issues that she's running away from, then there would be an even bigger union majority than there was last time around. But if Boris Johnson might be tempted just to go for it. But if he were, then he'd be doing what he promised and what the Scottish Tories promised Scots they would not do when they stood for election, and that's put the country through the mill of another debate. So I think we're going to be in this limbo for, for, for quite some time. I think the Supreme Court will tell Nicola Sturgeon that she doesn't have legal authority to do it, and I'm not quite sure she will have any other options. She'll be able to talk about the grievance, about how Westminster is running scared from the voice of the Scottish people, etc. But I suspect this will likely fizzle out rather than, rather than collapse. And James, I was very disparaging just then about Scottish Labour, but they do have a, a more energetic and more plausible leader in, in Anas Sarwar. Just tell us a little bit about the progress he's making. Yeah, I think he's a particularly important figure for the unionist cause because while as, you know, Ruth Davidson clearly can kind of pump up the, the kind of unionist base, if you like, you do need someone to appeal to Scots who are kind of essentially social democrats before they're anything. And I think he he has that appeal. I think one of the things that will be more difficult for the EDS side next time round is that in 2014, the previous Prime Minister and Chancellor of the Exchequer of the UK had both been Scots. This time round, that will be more difficult. You know, yes, Gordon Brown will still be on the scene as a former Prime Minister, but, you know, it will be a long time since he had been in office. And so I think Anasawa is, is important in that, you know, the big vulnerability of the Unionist side is clearly on the kind of left of Scottish politics. You know, who do they have to appeal to those voters? Thank you, James. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you for listening. <laughs>